0: Welcome to the Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue our series, our Bible study series on the life of Peter, subtitled from Fisherman." to follower of Jesus. This is the third study, and if you've missed either of the first two, you can go and listen to it online, and that's available there. But tonight, the lesson title is Walking on Water. How many of you have ever walked on water? Sure would like to, right? Yeah, maybe not physically, but you know what? If you've been walking with Jesus, you've probably walked on some water, at least the way we're going to see the principles in our passage tonight. You know, when you hear the phrase, the storms of life, what do you think of? Do you think of rain? Hail? Hurricanes? Adversities. Yeah, because it's figurative, right? When we talk about the storms of life, they could mean literal storms, but that phrase is used to talk about the difficulties that we go through. Okay? Um, Now, here's some news that is not good news, but it's real news. OK, you're probably either in a storm, have just come out of a storm or you're heading into a storm. <laughs> Isn't that the way life is? I'm glad that God gives us calm and peaceful moments between the storms. But as long as we live in this world, we're going to go through difficulty and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. So like I said, we the title of the lesson is Walking on Water, a story from Peter's life that probably all of you are familiar with. Um, when the disciples are in the boat in the storm, Jesus comes walking, and and Peter says, let me join you, and uh, Jesus says, come right ahead. So the background to our story, just so you know, John the Baptist, which is the person that God used to prepare the way for Jesus. He also happened to be related to Jesus, probably a cousin or something like that. Very, very close, and obviously doing God's work. Well, he has just been put to death uh, shortly before our story tonight. Um, Jesus... Uh, is wanting to get away for a while with his disciples. The disciples have just come back from a time when Jesus sent them out without him to minister, and he gave them power to heal people and cast out demons and told them to proclaim the kingdom of God's coming, and they did that. So they're back, and they're tired. They need a vacation, okay, because crowds are all coming around, all right? And so they get in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee and they get to the other side and lo and behold, the people have followed them. Not by walking on the water. That's not the walking on the water we're talking about. But the Sea of Galilee is a decent size but it's small enough that people on the shore could see where they were going. And so they walked around. I mean, it's probably four, five, six miles they went. You know, they walked around the edge and as they did, they gathered more people to join them. So by the time Jesus and the disciples get to the vacation condo, not literally, but they get here's probably 10, 15,000 people waiting for Jesus. I'm sure the disciples said, uh, let's go find another place. Jesus says, no. In fact, the story tells us that Jesus saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he had a compassion on them. So they got out of the boat, and that's the day he spent all day teaching them after being exhausted. And then they fed them, and that's where they had the 5,000, you know, men plus the women and children. That's where I get the ten to 12,000 people. And the crowd are so excited, they say, let's make Jesus king. And this is exactly what Jesus doesn't want to have happen. And so he immediately tells his disciples to get in the boat, head across the lake, tells the crowd to go home, and he goes up into the mountains to pray and hides himself away. So he spends most of the night So that's the background of our text. Let's take a look at the story in Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Right after he fed everybody, they're all like, let's make Jesus king. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. All right. So um, this story is also found, for your reference, in Mark 6 and John 6, although neither Mark nor John mentioned Peter walking on the water, which doesn't mean they don't believe it happened. It's just that wasn't part of the story that they wanted to relate. They were more focused on Jesus coming to them and calming the storm. But Matthew gives us that extra detail of how Peter asked to come to Jesus, and Jesus invited him to do so. Um, As you can see on the outline on your note sheet, I've got this down as a story of a great storm, a great step, and a great Savior. And all three of these apply to us because we will have storms in our life, and some of them will be great storms. And we will be required or allowed or challenged to take a great step, a step of faith. And we do have a great Savior who's there to help us with all these things. So first of all, we have the great storm. You know, Jesus sent the disciples away, told the crowds to go away, went up in the mountains to kind of calm down this fervor of making him a king. And the disciples are in the storm. The Sea of Galilee is known for tremendous storms that can just appear like uh, almost immediately. It's because of the way the geography is there. The, the, The sea itself is 613 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by hills and mountains and lots of valleys that channel down. And so anytime, especially the change of day, you know, it's getting into night, so it's going to get cooler, or the sunrise gets warmer, you know, or other kind of weather systems that come through, and the winds come whipping down the valleys, and it can just bring up a storm really quickly, okay? The weather is very unpredictable. And uh, the thing that's interesting is that at least four of the disciples that are in the boat— are fishermen, or were fishermen, okay? So they're used to this. It's not a problem for them to be out on the lake at night. They're used to fishing at night. They've been in storms before. So probably at the beginning it wasn't that big a deal other than the fact that it was just a real pain. It says they couldn't use their sails. They had to row. Uh, they only had to go about four, five, six miles to get the other side of the lake. But it says it took them most of the night just to go a couple miles, okay? Because they're rowing against the waves, Everything and the storms getting worse and worse and worse. They've probably been rowing for six to ten hours have only gone like halfway. All right. Now this is a picture of how life is sometimes. Right. It's very unpredictable. Uh, I'm sure you've experienced just going through life and you've hit one of those peaceful times. Everything's kind of smooth sailing and boom something comes out of nowhere. Totally unpredictable. And even sometimes in that storm, you're doing everything you can to make some progress, to get out, to solve the problem, to do this. And it seems like you're just not making any progress at all. All right? The first thing I have on your note sheet under uh, that first point is storms are a part of every life. Okay? It isn't storms are the part of most lives, some lives, but storms are a part of every life. I don't think they have Anybody that disagrees with that? Any of you ever gone through a good long period of your life where you didn't have any storms, no problems, no difficulties? Okay, I didn't think so. What are some of the storms that we experience in our lives? We we said earlier that storms are the difficulties. So what are some things that we struggle with sometimes? Sickness, Sickness, yeah. Relationships, Relationships. yeah. What would you say? Death in the family, loss. Any kind of loss, but especially loss of loved ones, yeah. Finances, yeah. What else? You know, actually, you could name probably any category in life. <laughs> and there can be good, and there can be problems, right? I had a, just a short list. Marriage. Nobody mentioned marriage. We said relationships, Marriage, family, job, school, finances, uh, physical, auto accident, temptations, sorrows, decisions, you know, and, and the ones that I really hate is when things are really, really bad and you're praying real hard and they get worse. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes in God's plan, that's what happens. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Yeah. You know, we see that all throughout the history of God's people. It's not because God's mean. It's because he's got something he's got going on in there and he wants us to learn and grow. Okay. And sometimes it just seems like we can't catch a break. I, I read this. Um, I thought this was funny, but it's typical of life sometimes. There was a woman who was in a car accident And uh, the police was saying, what happened? She says, it was awful. I was driving the car. I ran off the street. I hit a mailbox, ran over a bicycle, came back to the road, hit two cars, and then I lost control. (laughs) I'd say she probably lost control a whole lot earlier than what she thought. Okay. But that's the way it is sometimes, right? Storms are a part of every life. Uh, the second thing on your note sheet there is this letter B. Jesus never promised an easy life. In fact, he promised just the opposite. I've said this many times. We love to claim the promises of God, love to claim the promises of Jesus, and we should if they're applicable to us. That's part of what God has given us. But he's given some promises we don't want to claim. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, "In the world you will have tribulation." He says, "I promise." <laughs> But, take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, think about this. Jesus is on earth. These disciples have the privilege of traveling with him. They don't know for sure exactly who he is even at this point, but they're having a growing awareness of who he is, that he, you know, they've thought and believed that he's the Messiah, this promised one of God. Eventually they're going to realize he is God himself and they're seeing bits and pieces and hints of it and, and they're constantly being amazed. But why didn't Jesus exempt his disciples from storms? I mean, here's Jesus, God in the flesh, doing God's work. But yet we see most of the time when they're getting into a boat, they're going to face a storm. It makes you, you know, like when you're watching a movie, it's like they're getting into a boat. You want to say, don't get in a boat. (laughs) You know what's going to happen, you know, and they're having other problems. Why didn't Jesus exempt his disciples from storms, both literally and uh, uh, figuratively? Okay, it was part of the process of him training them and bringing them to maturity. Yeah, Joan, help them, them to grow in their faith. You know, he told Peter at the end of, "Oh, you have little faith," and and that's a that's actually a phrase we recognize, right? Because there's several times in Scripture where because of the way the disciples responded, or whether Jesus said, "Oh, you have little faith," or why didn't you have more faith? Now, I'll be be really honest with you, I really believe that that is a rebuke, but I believe it was a loving, gentle rebuke. I don't think it was like, oh, you stupid, why why didn't you have more? I think it was more like, oh, guys, why didn't you have more faith? You know, you've been around me long enough. Why, Why didn't you get it? Chris? Yeah, I mean, looking down the road, all the disciples except for one, according to church history, were put to death for their faith. The only one that wasn't, trivia question, who was the one disciple that was not put to death for his faith? He died of old age. John, yeah, the Apostle John. But it wasn't because they tried. There was one point church tradition says they boiled him in oil, but he didn't die. I always said he boiled him in oil, he didn't die, but I bet his skin was nice and smooth. So. <laughs> but, yeah, Jesus knows what they're going to face in the future, and the little trials we face going through life help us get ready for the bigger ones. You know. And I was going to ask, why doesn't God exempt his people today from storms? Same reasons, right? Same reasons. The question is, are we going to trust him enough to say, okay, God, I don't like this. I don't even understand this. But you must have a plan. So even though I don't like it, I don't understand it. I'm still going to trust you. You know, And that's part of the lesson in all the trials we face. But we live in a sinful, fallen world. And as long as we live in this sinful, fallen world, we're going to be affected by the effects of sin in this world. We'll have attacks of the enemy. There will be times we did absolutely nothing wrong, but other people will make mistakes or because of their sins, we're going to suffer because of that. I mean, isn't that true? We suffer because of other people's actions. Um, But to be honest with you, there are times that we make mistakes and we sin. And so we're going to suffer because of that too. You know, there's a, a, a question that people love to ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? And that's a good question. It's a good study. We've studied that before. We'll probably study it again sometime. But I heard about one theologian that was asked that one time, why do bad things happen to good people? He says, well, you know, I really don't know. I haven't met any good people yet. And the point wasn't that he didn't know any people that were, quote, good, but, you know, nobody is truly good. You know, we all have our issues. We all have our sins and our temptations. We all bring problems on ourselves. Um, So before we move on to the second point, I just want to say if you're in a storm today, and chances are if we said raise your hand if you've got a storm going on in your life, there would be a good group, right? Just want to tell you that Jesus is there in the storm. You know, we're going to see that in just a moment. The disciples didn't think he was anywhere around, but he was. And Jesus always says the same thing. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. All right, so we have a great storm that leads us to a great step. A great step. So disciples out there struggling to get the boat across the lake. And so Jesus is done praying. He sees them in distress. You look at the other accounts. that says that he saw them far off. So he goes walking across the water. Now, I, I find it so funny that... Um, you know, I have no problem believing. You know, Jesus did miracles. Jesus is God. He can walk on the water. But people that want to explain away miracles and all that kind of stuff, there's one particular um, Bible scholar that I do have some of his works because he has a lot of good things to say about other things, but he doesn't believe in miracles, which is kind of weird. Um, And he tries to explain them away. And he, along with others, have said, well, what it really was is that the disciples had rowed and they'd gone that far, but by then they'd gotten close to the shore. And so Jesus was actually walking along the edge of the shore, and he's kind of he saw them. So he went down to the shore, and they weren't that far away. And so he was there to encourage them, say, "I'm here. I'm here to help you." And I'm thinking, okay, if that's true, then why is it when Peter got out of the boat, (laughs) he's sinking in fear, he's going to drown in six inches of water or whatever it was, you know? Anyway, but the thing is. So Jesus is walking on the water and they think it's his ghost because, I mean, that's the only logical thing they can think of of why they see this image of Jesus on top of the water because people don't do that, right? And so Jesus says what he says, you know, um, take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come on the water. I never have understood that. It's like. Well, if it's not really him, and it's a demonic thing, he's going to say, come on! (laughs) It's like, you know, so, but anyway. But that's Peter, right? I mean, Peter does things and then thinks about it later. He says things and then thinks about it later. But why do you think Peter said that? Why did he make that request? I mean, it doesn't say in Scripture. We're just speculating. But why do you think he said that? Yeah. I think he just wanted to be part of it. It's like, hey, cool, can I do this, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, but the big question is, why did Jesus tell him to go ahead and come? Why do you think Jesus said, yeah, come on, instead of just saying, oh, just wait there, I'm coming. Test his faith. Test his faith. It was a learning opportunity, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a time to test it and to stretch it and to learn and to grow. And, you know, as we've said before, you know, sometimes people get down on Peter like, yeah, he got out of the boat and he sung. He was the only disciple that got out of the boat, no. <laughs> you know. And, yeah, he denied Jesus at the fire, but he and John were the only disciples that followed Jesus to the courtyard of the high priest. You know, John's the one that got them in. We don't know what John did in this. He Anyway, he knew people in the household. But, but you know, at least Peter had the, the old-fashioned word gumption, you know. To do something. And so anyway, uh, Jesus said, come on. Um, And he did sink, but he had the courage to get out of the boat. And one thing we know about Peter, Peter made mistakes. But he wholeheartedly followed Jesus. And he made mistakes as he was going forward full blast. Now, that doesn't mean we should just go forward full blast and not worry about whether we make mistakes or not. We need to try to use some wisdom and that kind of thing because he certainly could have benefited from that. But we could probably stand to be a lot more like Peter than we are. Yeah, Laurie. That's right. Better to make mistakes doing things for the Lord than to do nothing at all. And that leads right into my next point. Peter had imperfect faith, but on your note sheet letter A, imperfect faith is better than no faith at all. Now That's not about faith, but what Laurie was saying is true too. Doing something for Jesus and sometimes getting it wrong or not quite getting it right is better than not doing anything at all. But imperfect faith is better than no faith at all. Whenever he failed, after he failed, he always turned back to Jesus. Uh, I didn't even have this in my notes, but that's the real difference between Peter and Judas. I I mean, I shouldn't say that's the... There's a lot of differences between Peter and Judas, and it comes down to a heart issue. But that's what made the difference between their end, is that Peter recognized he had failed, and he repented and came back to Jesus, whereas Judas just gave up, just kept on going in his sin and despaired and committed suicide. Okay? I heard this phrase uh, saying a little while ago, and I really like this, and I've got it on your note sheet there under letter A. Falling down doesn't make you a failure, but staying down does. There's another phrase I didn't think to put it on the note sheet, and that is, failure is not an identity, it is an event. Think about that. Failure is not an identity, it's an event. In other words, failure is not who you are, it's something you've done, Okay? And, and uh, I, thought, I think that's pretty cool too. So, so, Peter gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. He does demonstrate faith. And he's doing good for a while. Let her be there. Faith is believing God enough to do what he says. Now, it's a very simplistic definition of faith, but it covers most of the basis of what faith is it's believing God or trusting God enough to do what he says. I mean, in Peter's case, Jesus says, come on. He had faith. He trusted Jesus enough to hop right out of that boat and expect that he'd be able to walk across the water. All right? Now, we had said under um, point one that storms are a part of every life. On your note sheet there, letter C, steps of faith are a part of every believer's life. As we go through life and we're trying to grow and we're trying to mature and all that kind of stuff, we are going to face storms. And that's going to require that we take steps of faith. God is going to challenge us. God is going to allow us to be in situations, and that's one of the reasons he does allow us to be in those situations, so that we can be challenged in our faith, so we can demonstrate the faith we have, so we can grow in the faith we have, and even if we fail, that we can learn from that, which can have a long-term, uh, a long-term result of strengthening our faith. Okay? Okay? Anytime we're in storms, we need to be ready to take a step of faith. Now, here's a very important thought, and it's not on your note sheet here. Okay? God does not expect us to do risky things to show our faith. Okay? But he wants us to have the faith to obey him when he asks us to do risky things. Okay? You understand the difference there? Sometimes people step out and say, well, I'm going to prove God. I'm going to do this, and God's going to show up. If God hasn't told you to do it, he may or may not do something. You may do it, fall flat on your face, and God said, I never told you to do that. You know? And, and, and I bring that out because sometimes if you listen to some faith teachers, preachers, or whatever, they're like, well, you need to do something bold for God because God's going to come through. Well, if God asked you to do something bold, you need to do it because God's going to come through. But if you just choose to do some bold thing... It may not be that you chose to do some bold thing. You chose to do some bold, stupid thing, you know, and God never wanted you to do it. But sometimes God does ask us to do things that we're like, oh, man, that's crazy. That's that's hard. That's big. But if God's asking us, then that's where the faith comes in. I'll be honest with you. Just trying to live everyday life in obedience to God is going to bring enough storms. You don't need to create new ones, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's going to bring enough problems. You don't need to invent some. Because just going through life is going to do that and give us plenty of opportunities to exercise our faith. So before we go, I just want to ask you as, you, as we're talking about, what has the Lord been challenging with you? Challenging you with, okay? Because the other part of it, there may be some things in your life that God's been challenging you, and you've been staying in the boat. He says, oh, get out of the boat. I know it's scary. I know it seems impossible. I know it seems difficult. And you really don't want to do it. You're comfortable. What areas in which he's been asking you to get out of the boat? Because that's part of how this lesson should apply to us. It could be in sharing your faith. Maybe there's somebody God's laid on your heart. And he says, I want you to start talking to him about Jesus. When the door opens, you take a step. I don't know. I'm afraid it could be job related. It could be in your marriage, something else. Now, Peter started out well. After starting out so well, why did he start to sink? Because he looked what? He looked at reality. Reality, Reality, the physical reality, can be scary. He lost sight of the spiritual reality and saw the physical reality. What other responses do you have, Joan? He looked at his own ability to walk on water and didn't focus on Jesus' ability to help him walk on water, to to fill out a little bit what you said there. Yeah, Chris. He looked at the weather channel and said there's a hurricane. Okay. I don't know that they have hurricanes in the Sea of Galilee, but they say the storms are pretty bad. Yeah. You know, he looked at his circumstances instead of Jesus. He took his eyes off of Jesus, right? Uh, That just so speaks to me. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we focus more on the circumstances on Jesus. That's where we're going to have trouble. It mentions specifically that it says he saw the wind, Okay? Got out of the boat, walked on water, but when he saw the wind, I don't think it was just the wind, but it mentions that the wind, the waves, all these things. Okay? Now, here's the thing. He didn't deny the circumstances. There was a real storm, but there was a real Jesus too. Again, there's some kind of wacky faith teaching that tells you you need to deny the negative stuff in your life. You know? No. God never tells us to lie. You know what I'm saying? But God is with us in the midst of things, and we can, we can very easily say, hey, I've got a storm in my life. I've got a physical situation. I've got a problem with finances. I've got an issue in my marriage, my kids, whatever. But you know what? God's in control. God's in charge. I'm going to ask him what to do. I'm going to do what I need to do and ask him to intervene, and he can come through. Yeah. Letter D is just kind of a follow-up on that. We start to sink when we focus on our circumstances rather than Jesus. We start to sink when we focus on our circumstances rather than Jesus. I mean, how many times has God spoken to us? We stepped out in faith, but then circumstances caused us to hesitate. You know? I keep thinking back to the Israelites leaving Egypt. God did all the miracles and all that kind of stuff. Then they get to the Red Sea. It's like, what are we going to do? And then God delivers again. They get across, and then they don't have water. What are we going to do? And then God gives them water. You know, every time they're turning around and there's a difficulty... They complain, and they don't remember what God already did. Aren't you glad we never do that? Ha, right. How many times, you know, we look back on our lives and say, how many of you can make a list of phenomenal things God has done for you? Probably most of us could if we've known the Lord for any length of time. How many times do you find yourself still wondering what's going to happen and doubting and maybe even complaining a little bit? We do it too, yeah. Did you have your hand up a minute ago, Tim? Go ahead. Yeah, sometimes God allows us to be stopped because we're headed the wrong direction. We're not doing it right or whatever. So, yeah. All right. All right. So what's the solution when we begin to sink? What did Peter do? He called out to Jesus. He turned back to Jesus, right? That's exactly what we got to do. We got to get our focus back. Um, Here's the thing. Peter returned to Jesus, not the boat. Think about that. He didn't turn back and try to get back to the boat. He turned to Jesus. And that leads in the letter E on your note sheet there. When you sink, turn back to Jesus, not your quote boat. Okay. Now this is another. This is a great example of how long. You know, prayer is prayer, and however long we pray and everything, as long as it's personal, it's meant, and all that's great. But prayers don't have to be long to be effective. Peter said, "Lord, save me." Three words, probably about all the words he could get out before he. Went under water, because <laughs> then it had been like glub, 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 you know. I like a description of this prayer. It's spontaneous, simple, but sufficient. <laughs> All right. Again, when Jesus said um, to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Um, we can't read the tone in the scripture, but I really believe that it was it was a gentle, loving, it was a rebuke, but a gentle, loving rebuke. Um, he didn't say, you idiot, how could you be so stupid to do such a thing? But, you know, why, why? You know, basically, like, you had it, man. You had it. Why didn't you just keep with it? Just, just a little bit more faith, you know. Why, why so little? So, anyway, um, whatever we struggle with, no matter how much wind, how big the storm, how afraid we become, how deep we're sinking, if we return to Jesus, he will rescue us. And so that brings us to the third point. We've got the great storm, a great step, and now a great Savior. Okay, And this really is the focus of the story. It's not so much about Peter and he stepped out and he sank, but, but Jesus. Okay, The whole focus of this story in our life, we need to look to Jesus. And the storms of life can do one of two things. They can help us get our focus off of Jesus because we're so focused on the storm. Or if we allow them, they can help us to focus more on Jesus. And we can grow. All the things that God wants to use the storm for, we can grow in faith. We can grow in maturity. Um, we have a great Savior who can calm great storms. When it was all said and done in verse 33, it says, Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This, uh, and the, there was another miracle that it's so easy to overpa- pass over, and that is as soon as Jesus and Peter got back to the boat, boom, the storm's gone which has happened more than once. You know, the other great storm on the boat when, or on the sea when Jesus is asleep in the boat and the disciples think they're going to die because without Jesus they would have. But they call out, don't you care, God? And he says, well, oh, you live a little faith. And he just spoke and the storm is just boom. You know, I don't think it just kind of gradually eased off. The way it's worded, it just says the storm was done. <laughs> That'd be amazing, you know, to have this tremendous storm and then Jesus speaks and boom. There's there's the sun, you know, <laughs> and uh, that happened this night too. And so the disciples are like, they said they worshipped him. I mean, this is one of the one of the major steps to them realizing this is not just some phenomenal man, this anointed man by God, just not just the Messiah. They you know worship is reserved for God, so they're starting to to feel that way. So anyway couple of thoughts, two thoughts um, that go together. I know it looks kind of strange on your outline. There's two bullet points, and then you have an ABC whatever. But the two bullet bullet points is this. Jesus has the solution for our storms of life. Whatever we face, Jesus has got the solution. Jesus has the solution for our storms of life. And the second part is that Jesus gives support for our steps of faith. We've talked about storms of life, steps of faith. Jesus is there for both. He's got the solution for the storms, and he's got support for the steps. Okay? Now here's some really important thoughts about Jesus and our storms and our steps that are true of this story, but they're true of our lives too. Okay? Letter A Jesus is not afar, as far away as he seems. The disciples are in the boat. They spent six to nine hours trying to row to the other side of the lake. They've only gone a couple of miles. They're only about halfway across. Where do they think Jesus is? Where do you think they thought Jesus was? Well, they're out in the middle of the boat. Back where they left him, right? Yeah. But where was he? They knew he couldn't swim the past. But where was he? He was right there with them. And how many times are we in the midst of circumstances like, God, where are you at? And it feels that way. I I can't sense God's presence. I can't sense his power. He's forgotten me. He's he's busy counting the hairs on somebody else's head. That's why he can't give me his attention. You know, counting the burdens. I don't know. But he's there. He is there. That may be something that some of you tonight or somebody listening to the recording later, that's what you mainly need to hear. God is there. Whether you feel him or not, whether you sense him or not, he is there. Jesus is there. Okay? So anyway, it's a refrain that we see all through Scripture. The Lord was with so-and-so. You know, going from the beginning, it says over and over, the Lord was with Joseph. And where was Joseph? Sold into slavery. Falsely accused of rape. In prison. Supposed to be helped, and it was two years later before the guy forgot remembered to help him. But it kept saying over and over again, the Lord was with Joseph, even in the midst of all that. Um, it says the Lord was with Joshua, great leader, faced overwhelming challenges, but the Lord was with him. Uh, it's mentioned specifically the Lord was with David. You know, we read the story of David. We know there was some problem between him and Saul. You I mean, he killed Goliath. He's this great warrior. But then Saul gets jealous, and Saul's chasing him through the wilderness. What we don't often realize because the story reads so quickly is that David spent about 20 to 30 years running from Saul. That's a long time. And he was just waiting on God. He had two opportunities to kill Saul. And he had already been anointed king. And he says, nope, God's going to take care of it. Okay? And it said the Lord was with David. Um, It also mentions specifically the Lord was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can't remember if it mentions it specifically, but it's quite obvious the Lord was with Daniel too (laughs) in the lion's den. All these tremendously difficult circumstances, and the Lord was with them. And the same thing is true for us. The Lord is with us. You know, at work, at home, at school, wherever we are. He is with us. Let her be there. Jesus is always on time. Now, it's his time, not ours, because our time is like yesterday. <laughs> you know, Lord, i like you to intervene in the situation I'm facing today. Yesterday, so I don't even have to face it today. You know, and if not yesterday, then right now. But Jesus is always on time. He's never late. It says it was the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. The disciples just set out the night before, and um, like I said, six to nine hours they've been going through this. You know? But Jesus was on time. Uh, I like that saying, it's always darkest before the dawn. Just don't give up. You know, I think of the story of Lazarus. <laughs> the story of Lazarus is a great illustration of how it looks like Jesus was not only late, but he was like way late. I mean, Lazarus had already been dead for four days when he finally showed up. But that's okay because that doesn't slow Jesus down. You know? Yeah. I like this statement. It says, if you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. <laughs> Just keep trusting Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Let us see there. Jesus always says, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. It's interesting that statement, it is I, in the Greek, it literally is I am. And a lot of Bible scholars believe that Jesus said it that way specifically to tie back to God's revelation of himself in Exodus to Moses, that he is the I am. And when God reveals himself that way in Exodus, the, the impact of that, the, the meaning of that is I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will be what you need. I will, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all that you need. Okay? Yeah. And um, I think that that's one of the things that Jesus is communicating too. I will be, I am all that you need me to be and um, you know it's interesting he said this before he calmed the storm all right letter d there jesus will lift us up and help us walk on the water you know i started off by saying how many of you ever walked on water and he said i'd like to try I'd like to you know um the thing is we haven't physically probably not likely to physically in this life anyway maybe god will let us do it in, in heaven i don't know But we have all had the opportunity to walk on the water, spiritually speaking. And Jesus will lift us up and help us walk on the water if we look to him. So the key is, the last thing on your note sheet is look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. We need to look for Jesus in the storms. But we don't need to wait for a storm to look for Jesus. Unfortunately, sometimes people do that. Only turn to God when there's a problem. No. Walk with him every day. Look to him every day. It will make the storms a whole lot easier. Okay. Keep your eyes on Jesus when you're walking on the water and turn your eyes back to Jesus when you begin to sink. I want to wrap this up by reading something to you. Um, when I got ready to teach this sermon, this Bible study series, I did a search um, in the library uh, digitally um, uh, for books on Simon Peter. Didn't have a lot of books on Simon Peter. That's okay. I've got a lot of resources. But they did have one book um, called The Fisherman by a pastor, I think he is. His name is Larry Huntsberger, But it's actually not a sermon, Bible study, commentary type book. It's actually a novel he wrote taking only the facts about Jesus' uh, Jesus's interactions with Peter and telling the story from the perspective of Peter. Okay? It'd be as if Peter sat down and wrote a gospel. All right, But there aren't any facts in there that aren't already in the gospels. Okay? But anyway, um, so I checked it out of the library, and I've checked it out again because I've had it for a couple of weeks. And, um, there's some, if you like reading fiction and stuff, you might want to see if you can get a hold of that. Um, you can't get it the same place I did because it came from the Cincinnati Library. I got it digitally. Uh, I got a library card from Cincinnati. But anyway, um, I want to read to you, uh, part of just a couple paragraphs out of the chapter where Peter's talking about walking on the water and it's really descriptive and powerful and talking about all the things he went through. But this is at the end, talking about what he learned from it, okay? And this is what it says Peter talking. The great gift Jesus gave me that night was not the thrill of accomplishing the impossible. It was not the honor of being the only man other than himself to have ever walked on water. The great gift he gave me was that single question with which the episode ended. Why did you doubt? It was this question that Jesus wanted me to ask myself and keep asking until I knew the answer. Why did I doubt? He'd already given me proof of his faithfulness. I was already walking on the water. The storm hadn't intensified. The waves were not increasing in size. My circumstances hadn't changed. And yet one minute I was walking on the sea and the next I was being destroyed by it. The twofold answer to the question was obvious. I took my eyes off my master. And I focused instead on where I was coming from and what was going on around me. The illustration of that night has become a lifelong part of my walk with the king. I now know where doubt comes from. I know where fear comes from. It doesn't come from seeing the storm around me. It comes from not seeing who stands beside me. I've certainly not lived a life of flawless faith since that night on the water. In fact, all of my greatest blunders were yet to come. But the principle Jesus gave me through our water walk together is now a solid anchor for my life. When I fear, when I doubt... When I allow my past to define my future and feel the stress and anxiety it brings, whenever I feel myself sinking once again, I know I am not seeing my Lord correctly. Why did I doubt? I doubted because I took my eyes off the only true source of hope and security in this world. I took my eyes off of my Lord Jesus Christ. That really summarizes well the lesson we have. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. When we take him off, we've got to get him back on. We need to trust him. Bruce. That's right. Whenever we're doing what God's called us to do, no matter how easy, how difficult, especially when it's difficult, God will take care of it. Even if it seems impossible, the storms get worse, whatever it is. So, so we apply this tonight, first of all, just make sure that we have a relationship with God. Because this is a story for believers, not to be exclusive, but God's people, all right? Make sure we have a relationship with God. If you're in a situation of difficulty, you're going through a storm, look to him. Look to him. And then the last thing is, if God's challenging you to get out of a boat about something, get out of the boat. Stop resisting what he's wanting you to do. I like this statement. You can't walk on water unless you get out of the boat. All right. You going to say something, Sonny? Sonny? Oh, Nora did. I'll give it to you after we close. Okay? All right. You know what? Let me go ahead and state it again in case somebody's listening to this recording later and say, what was that book again? It is called The Fisherman. And the author is Larry Huntsperger, H-U-N-T-S-P-E-R-G-E-R. Like I said, I've got it digitally from the Cincinnati Library, so if you—Huntsperger, H-U-N-T-S-P-E-R-G-E-R. Now, they may have it in the library here locally. I don't know. I didn't try looking there. I just tried to do everything digitally, so that's what I did. All right? All right, let's pray. Father God, we come to you today thankful, Lord God, for the stories in your word. God, if you had just given us your word with a bunch of instructions and rules and principles, as helpful as that would be, do this, don't do that, it'd be a lot shorter. But, Lord, it's great to be able to look at the stories of how you worked through history to bring about salvation, but also how you worked in and through people's lives and and good examples and bad examples, how we should do things, how we shouldn't do things. And I just pray you'd help us to learn from all of them. And tonight, Lord, we just ask that you'd help us to be people of faith and to grow in our faith. And I thank you that, Lord, when we do things and we don't do it exactly right, you bring forgiveness and you help us. And tonight, Lord, I pray for anybody who's facing any kind of storm, that you'd help them in the midst of it. That whatever the purpose is for you allowing the storm, it will be accomplished. That you'd help us to grow, mature, become more faith-filled and faithful. And, Father, I just pray also, Lord God, that... that. Um, You would help us, Lord God, to walk in faith in every area of life, Lord God. And, Lord, if there's an area of our life where you've been saying, get out of the boat, it's scary, the waves look kind of funky, you don't know what's going to happen, but, Lord, there's something you want us to do. Help us to take that step of faith, looking to you, looking to you. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.